Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Hey friends, today we are diving back into our current series, Keeping It Local, Leaning Into Discipleship in Your Local Context. If you're just tuning in, the heart behind this series is to encourage learning from women right where we are. I've been chatting with ladies from my own local church here in Hanover, New Hampshire, which has been an absolute joy, and I know you guys will love them as much as I do. We hope these conversations help to pull back the curtain on discipleship relationships, which, let's be honest, we have all probably felt intimidated by at one point or another. This week, I'm talking about a little bit of a less intimidating aspect, peer-to-peer discipleship with my friend, Amy Nuppy. Amy, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thanks for having me, Hunter. (laughs) This is so fun. We are in my kitchen. I've actually never recorded in my kitchen before, and you're looking quite professional with your headphones and mic in front of your face. (laughs) Thanks. Feeling a little nervous, but I'm excited. I was in your original sound booth back in August. Do you remember? Okay, yes. And the sound booth has been reconstructed post-flood. And despite the brevity of our friendship, we have been through a lot (laughs) together. Absolutely. You're also probably one of my most pregnant guests. I would imagine I'm very pregnant right now. So I apologize if I sound a little breathy. Oh, you are the best for your willingness (laughs) to join me in such a state. It's just a joy to get to have you on the show. I want to introduce you a little bit. You and I actually met because I think really the Lord just united our hearts in a desire to share who he is with other people. I had first moved here and there were opportunities for just kind of evangelism and sharing the gospel with other people in my own neighborhood and things like that. And so I started asking women quite awkwardly. Is anyone interested in having these types of conversations? And you're the only person that said yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I remember saying, well, I'll pray for you. And I guess I'm around if we can do this together. That just united us in friendship. And it's been really cool to see how the Lord has continued to overlap our paths as we're continuing to do life. We're in a small group together. We're in Bible study together and our kids are about the same age. So we see each other often in different things in town and stuff like that. So it's just really been a gift to get to know you, even though we haven't known each other for very long. Uh, You're married, you have a precious little boy and you guys are here. Uh, A lot of people come to this area for Dartmouth. You guys are here for that reason. Austin is finishing his postdoc program. Is that right? Yes. Is that how I say that? Postdoc. Yes. I don't even really know what that is. That shows my lack of education. (laughs) No, (laughs) there's some interesting terms in academia. Yeah, so my name's Amy Nuppy. 
Uh, I'm 34, and I uh, was born and bred mostly in the Midwest. I'm married to my wonderful husband, Austin, since 2010. Um, we have a three-year-old son, Elliot. Who's currently playing with Bo. Yes. Practicing being big brother. Yes. And so we're expecting another son any day. I'm a physical therapist, but have had the opportunity to stay home full time with Elliot this year um, since we moved to New England. And yes, Austin's doing a one year postdoc. He got his PhD in May and then he'll be teaching as a professor next year elsewhere. I'm guessing you guys are pretty passionate about being involved in a local church just because you just moved here right about the time that we did. What has convinced you of the need to be involved in the local church and what brought you to Christ Redeemer? Austin and I have lived in four states and two countries What in nine years of marriage. How did I not know this? <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that off air. <laughs> Sounds good. And we are planning one more move, like I said, in a few months. Looking back over the years, God has so faithfully provided a church and at least a few close friendships in each church, in each of our transitions, even the ones that have been two years or less. So I know that you have had some previous episodes about finding a local healthy church and have some resources on your website. And so that's definitely the first step in finding a church is looking for one that's preaching the gospel, preaching from the word of God, that the leadership takes seriously the spiritual growth of their church. And Austin and I have been really fortunate to have had access to healthy churches in the places that we've lived. Honestly, most of the churches that we have participated in have been recommendations from friends Hmm. or family members or friends of friends. Austin's so good at this. He had, I think, called or even FaceTimed with one of the pastors and one of the deacons already, even before we got here. That's amazing. Just like asking questions about the church. Yes, absolutely. I I like will listen to sermons and things like that and look at like belief statements online because we've also moved around a lot. And that's been super duper helpful because it just eliminates like maybe this would be a good fit. We should actually go there in person and check it out. It just kind of like saves time. Absolutely. And because we were only going to be here for 10 months, that was really important for us just to move and get plugged into a local Uh church family. We've lived in states pretty much exclusively without any family. So the church has really been our family. Um, And I can say that very genuinely, like through lots of hardships and joys. So we've been totally dependent on the local church for our community, for our spiritual growth. And so we've been really, really blessed by that. And even with our next move, when we were deciding if Austin was going to take this job, we actually planned a weekend trip over a Sunday uh-huh. so that we were able to try to go to a couple churches because that was on our short list of deciding whether or not that was yeah. a job that we should take if there is a church, a Christian community that we can move into. And we had the luxury of, of making that decision. Of making that decision. Um, it wasn't absolutely made for us. Right. But it was something to consider. Yes. And that was a really at the top of our list. And so we were able to attend a couple churches and just talk to people and make sure that we felt somewhat confident about moving into a new place, um, having a local church community. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's been really cool is to watch you get involved in this local body. And you've only been here for approximately, what, six months or so. And I can already see you walking in discipleship relationships with other women in the church. And I would even go so far as to say that you've discipled me, even though we have spent 
less time together than one might think you spend in a discipleship context. So let's talk a little bit about discipleship. That's what this whole series is centered around. Today in particular, I want to talk about what it looks like for us to engage in discipleship relationships with one another and to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. So what is discipleship centered around? Well, as Christians, a disciple simply put, is someone who follows Jesus. And so discipleship is the encouraging and equipping of other believers to do the same. This matters tremendously in the Christian life. Jesus starts his ministry by calling his disciples to simply follow Uh him and spends much of his time in ministry, allowing them to hear his teaching, observe him demonstrating his authority, patiently correcting them and revealing his character to them until their hearts are transformed enough to understand and appreciate and be in awe of the fact that he is indeed the true son of God. We've been studying the book of Matthew in yes. our Tuesday morning Bible study. I was just study. thinking about this and I'm like, well, we just experienced this in the kitchen because we're literally talking about what we're studying in women's yes. Bible study in regard to some things that are going on in my personal life. Yes, absolutely. And so There's a story that I just can't get out of my head in the book of Matthew. It's from chapter 14. And so Jesus sends his disciples in a boat across the Sea of Galilee without him. And these are experienced fishermen, but they are battling against a storm, the waves and the wind. And in the wee hours of the morning, Jesus comes walking to them on the water and They see him walking and they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. They cry out in fear. And Jesus immediately speaks to them and says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I love that the I there is reminiscent of when God in the Old Testament calls himself the I am. Mm. So Peter answers him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water and comes to Jesus. But when he sees the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so that phrase of little faith, Mm -hmm. it's it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. Mm. Peter is literally within arm's length of his Messiah. But just for a second, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he pays attention to the storm. He pays attention to the wind and that's when he starts to sink. And that is so easy for me to do in my sin and in my trials is just to take my eyes off of Jesus. And I need help to remember to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, Amen and amen. As you prepare for the summer, we want to share a unique way to introduce your non-believing friends to a local church, Skylark. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, you need to know about Skylark Summer Camp for your kids or as a means to supplement evangelism. Skylark partners with gospel-centric churches to provide summer camps as a means of childcare. By meeting parents' needs for summer childcare for kids having completed kindergarten through fifth grade, Skylark positions the local church to meet the spiritual needs of their community. They offer gospel-rich curriculum that is new each day of their summer camp. Kids can attend for one week, a few weeks, or all 11 weeks. Choose from one of their four locations offering a full summer program in Dallas, Plano, Allen, and Mansfield. The cost is $325 a week, 
but you can use the code journeywomen for 50% off every single week. What? Head on over to campskylark.com to learn more. That's C-A-M-P-S-K-Y-L-A-R-K.com and use the code journeywomen for 50% off. I need help. I feel like I need help more than anybody, which might be why God's <laughs> given me this job. Cause it's like, okay, I'm going to have you listening to this reminder all day. You're going to be reading it all day. Uh, you're going to be thinking about it all day. And you have done that for me, even just as I mentioned, standing in my kitchen many times, cause you basically can't go anywhere in my house without standing in my kitchen. That's how <laughs> small it is. But standing in my kitchen, you've done that so many times for me, just reminding me to look to the Lord. So how does doing life together, like when our kids are playing and when we're just hanging out, how does doing that together under the word of God, centered around the gospel, like you mentioned, enable us to disciple one another in Christian community? Even the earliest new believers in Acts 2 devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles who had received their teaching from Christ himself to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And the word fellowship used here and many times in the New Testament is this Greek word koinonia. Look at you. My father-in-law is a, a, a Greek scholar. I'll give him a shout out. <laughs> okay, okay. Koinonia was also one of our internet passwords in the past. That is a great conversation starter, by the way. I really hope you've changed all of your internet go. passwords. <laughs> yes, it's definitely not that now. So koinonia expresses participation and sharing and being part of the body of Christ is absolutely necessary for discipleship. Uh, Hebrews talks about not neglecting to meet together, mm-hmm. to spur each other on to good works. First Corinthians talks about the body being made up of many members baptized into one body. There are all sorts of commands in scripture about how to disciple each other within the body of Christ. In John 13, Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I've been thinking about some examples of ways that I have been discipled in our current local church just in the last few months. So my husband had reached out to both the college and to CRC Mm -hmm. asking if there were some undergrads we could hire to help us move in. I was several months pregnant and our sweet two-year-old was going to be underfoot as we attempted to unpack the U-Haul. Yeah. And so unfortunately, it was before most of the undergrads arrived. Came back for school. Mm -hmm. But sure enough, we pull in and there are three adult members of our congregation standing on our porch waiting to help us unload our U-Haul, which is one of life's most thankless tasks, helping someone move in or move Mm -hmm. out. Thank Um, you. Shout out to all (laughs) the people helping me move back in after the flood. Mm -hmm. Total strangers. We hadn't even stepped foot inside church yet. And so our little townhouse was all settled um, in about an hour. And a couple months later, two of them sent me a message and said, hey, you know what? Can we bring dinner to your house and just check in on you? Wow. And see how you guys are settling in. And having a toddler at home, that was quite hospitable in the sense Mm -hmm. that we were able to put Elliot down and just continue to spend time together. Uh, They've come to babysit Elliot. And one of the gals is on our shortlist to come spend the night Wow. Um, when I go into labor. Um, bless them. I've been yes. wanting to help you. And I'm like, I'm really no help at this point. <laughs> uh, we're, we've got a game plan. And so I remember that after movies, moving us in, mm-hmm. um, we're standing in our garage and Rebecca literally says to me, we have a culture at our church of seeking to love people well, as long as they're here and then sending them on their way. That and is amazing. And, and we've experienced that. 
what I love about that is they know there's really not going to be like the return is going to be eternal, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to be able to continue in relationship with them for very long because that's just not sustainable if your church is that transient. And it's not like you're even able to get your hands dirty in service to the degree that you would if you were able to stay at a church for a long period of time. And so that's just such an eternal perspective when it comes to developing those relationships. How do you go about finding such a community if that community isn't necessarily looking for you in the same real tangible way they were when they came and like actually moved boxes into your house? The first thing to do is to pray. God is willing and able to provide community for you. Totally. We forget that step because it just feels so basic, but it's like, no, do we really believe that God is in control of all things? If we do, why would we not ask? Yes, absolutely. And he wants you to be a part of his body. Um, That's how we grow. And um, so spend some serious time praying about it. Uh, It's also important to keep in mind that our American culture tends to be driven by consumerism and individualism. And so you have to actively participate. Mm -hmm. When I was 22, we moved to a new, I moved to a new city to go to grad school. So I was busy and I was entering a stressful season, Right, but I knew I couldn't afford by the grace of God Mm -hmm. to be connected to the local church for my spiritual and my emotional health. It's not worth putting on hold until you think you're going to have more time or in a different season of life. And in order for a church to thrive in the area of discipleship, Mm -hmm. all of the members of the body have to be participating actively. That'll preach because I think a lot of times younger women are frustrated because they feel like they don't have someone who is going to be pouring into them. And so they pull back and they start to look for community in other areas. We have access to everything online. But I think a lot of times we can do that at the fault of not having the opportunity to really be engaging with women who are in different life seasons in our own local body. And sometimes, like you said, it looks like us showing up first. Yes, you can, even as a new person at the church, you can still be hospitable to other people. There are very likely people that are just as new or even newer than you. Right. I I just laugh because you were newer than me and I saw you serving in the nursery and I was like, I've been using the excuse of like not serving that we're not members yet. And there you are, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, snuggling, snuggling with baby Bo is, is, uh, is not that much work, but that is, that's finding a place to serve, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. Um, every church needs a little bit of help in some area. And so you can exercise some new muscles mm-hmm. in that area. Uh, join a Bible study yep. when you're, where you're re- reading and studying scripture together. You have to be in the word of God to understand who God is and who we are in light of who God is. And it's so helpful to do that with others for understanding and accountability. If there's not one available, you can start one. There was a season in my mid-20s where I was attending a large church and didn't really have the context of meeting people that were older than I was. There Mm -hmm. was a thriving young adult ministry, but I didn't really know anybody that was much older than I was. So I had a friend who was being mentored in work uh, in the Christian publishing space by someone about 25 years older. And so she asked her mentor to get a few of her friends together. And we started a Bible study. There were about eight of us. We met together to study the book of Ruth, four women in their mid-20s and four women 20 to 30 years older than us, who themselves had been friends since high school or college. Wow. That's so cool. Yes. They had walked through everything, everything, you know, (laughs) up to like 
you know, their parents passing and cancer, um, several of them didn't have children of their own and so didn't also have a natural way to connect with our demographic. How precious. And so we were so blessed by their time and their wisdom in understanding scripture that they had been studying themselves for 30 years and just observing their inspiring friendships of bearing together for longer than we had yet to be alive. Oh, my word. When you're in that spot and you find yourself either in the room and you're engaging a Bible study, obviously your conversation centered around the word in that context, but even outside of that, how do you go about just cultivating meaningful conversations with the aim of really learning from other women? A good place to start is just thinking about what you might want to be asked and asking those questions, practice active listening, following up and pursuing people, Uh praying for them. You're really good at that, by the way. Well, we have a meaningful conversation every time (laughs) we get together, (laughs) which I really appreciate. It's never too late to start this process. Oh, that's so true. I came into this move feeling confident that the Lord would provide a good church and friends, which he has, but I was still feeling in the fall, like I wasn't connecting as well as I would have liked with women a little bit older than me. And so it took me several months to come to the realization that this transition was unique for me in the sense that this was the first move I had made as a mom Hmm. and as a mom working in the home. So I had to change my strategy just a little bit. And so- Well, what'd you do? What'd you do different? Yeah. So I started inviting women who had school-age kids, like our small group leader, Mm -hmm. Susie, over to my place from time to time, just for some more one-on-one in-depth conversation. Okay. So tell me, does that feel really vulnerable to you? Because sometimes- I feel vulnerable asking older people to hang out with me because I feel like I feel like it's a sacrifice. Absolutely. Okay, I'm only 32. You're around my age. Yes. We have a sweet friend who's watching our kids right now, and yes. she is less than 20. And I want to hang out with her all the time. If she asked me for more time, I'd be like, absolutely. And I would feel like the coolest person because (laughs) she actually wants to spend time with me, a 32-year-old. So I like have to remind myself that just as we feel it's awkward to ask for their time, I think we can forget that they probably feel the same way. Like I feel an insecurity approaching a younger woman thinking they probably don't want to spend time with me. Like I'm so out of date, you know? Yes, I think for me, it feels especially vulnerable to ask an older woman to mentor me or to disciple me or um, just to spend some one-on-one time with me. Because yeah, I I think I do probably wrongly make the assumption that they don't have time as a primary barrier, that they've got other things going on. But like you said, I would be happy to do that with younger women. Absolutely. So it does feel very vulnerable. And they have been so gracious. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, Susie, as you know, very well know, is a wise and wonderful woman. One-on-one time with her is so, it's just so wonderful. Um, Why wouldn't I want that? But it's hard when you have toddlers that interrupt you in small group. And, you know, that's just, that's just kind of a stage of life. But having them in my home, we can just kind of have lunch and then Elliot's in a good space to play. And Susie actually said, people don't really invite me over for lunch. And I was like, are you kidding me? I w- this is such sweet time for me. Yeah. You know, why, no, I'm totally why don't I invite just... Susie for lunch? Yeah. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so I love that. I, I wonder, I- I'm going to ask Susie this next week even. I've found that when I'm engaging in both relationships with women who are younger than me and who are my own peers, that discipleship really goes both ways. It's not like I'm sitting down and having this monologue where I'm teaching them. In fact, that would terrify me. Do you feel like discipleship goes 
both ways in the relationships that you share with other women in the context of your local church? I think it does, but under certain conditions. I have a dear friend that I met when I first moved to Ohio in 2013, and she's one of the most thoughtful and generous and hardworking and competent people I've known in my entire life. And it was so sweet to watch God pursuing her over the years, going from engagement to marriage. And we just grew genuinely close in friendship. And so we just talk about life, about money and marriage and conflict and work. Uh-huh. And as we explore these topics, I was able to share fairly organically with her the way the gospel informed each of these areas of my life. And she started to come to church and Bible study, met one of my mentors that she was able to connect with who had a similar church background. Our pastor and other church members met with her and her husband. And praise be to God, she started walking with the Lord. So she wasn't a believer beforehand. Correct. And I tell you what, Hunter, to see her heart radically changed by the good news of Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ's death and resurrection, that her understanding that she has a new identity and an eternal hope that lies well with outside her current circumstances. To have a front seat to something so real and so supernatural, it's been so encouraging to my faith. She texted me a couple months after we moved here um, and said, life is pretty different in the best ways. We're going to church every week and got involved in small groups. Cannot thank Jesus enough for working through you and our friendship to bring me back home. I'm forever grateful. And so our conversations now are just filled with her testifying to God answered prayers Mm. in her life. And so that has been so encouraging to my faith to see the Holy Spirit at work in very tangible ways in her life and has certainly encouraged me to continue to submit to God's Lordship in my life. Mm -hmm. I can totally see that. And I experienced that too in relationships with people who are just coming to faith. I experienced that in relationships with people who are younger than me, who have been walking with Jesus for less time than me, just as they're asking questions and really testifying to what they see in scripture. And as we dig into it together, and then I experienced that with you too, just as we sit around and have conversations about what's going on with our kids or what's going on in the ministry that the Lord has set before us, then just testifying, like you said, to who God is um, and reminding each other of that, even as we're reminding our own hearts that just kind of organically. So what are some ways that you have learned from your peers as you're just doing life together? Discipleship lessons within the local church can often be caught rather than taught. Ooh, I love that. (laughs) I've heard that before, but this is so applicable. Yes, I feel like I've heard it within parenting, but I think observation on the front end goes a long way in this step. And so if I'm perceiving that someone has great biblical knowledge and maybe also happens to have four or five or more kids at home, I'm going to ask them how they got there. Or if there's another healthcare provider in my church, I'm going to ask them how they're able to interact with coworkers and patients about their faith and... Also, I'm going to tell a story on you, Hunter. Oh, no. When I'm handing out bulletins on Sunday morning and I hand a children's bulletin to sweet five-year-old Hadley and you say, hey, Hads, can you receive that with a grateful heart? Mm. I'm going to say, A, I'm going to steal that and use that, (laughs) which I have. (laughs) Um, And B, I'm going to think about other ways in those frequent small moments where I can make clear Uh, to my preschooler that I value his heart condition more than his outward behavior Mm. Uh, because discipleship is not about knowledge and not about behavior modification it is about having a heart of flesh 
and a changed heart as we understand our own sin condition and desperate need to be rescued from it. I love that so much. And I've experienced the same for me. I've talked about this before, and I don't know if I'm misusing this phrase in any way, but discipleship feels a lot like a practical theology. Like I'm watching people take what they know to be true about who God is and to live that out in the context of their everyday life. And that's really helpful for me because I'm telling you, I'm like the most simple, the most ordinary of disciples. And so seeing it right there in front of me just helps me to better apply the realities of the gospel to my everyday life. It's so impactful. I'm really vulnerable. I think everybody that's listened to this show more than once knows that I cry all the time. It's very unprofessional. And I'm very unprofessional too when I go into discipleship relationships in the context of my local church and I can't help it. It's the way that God's wired me. It's very hard for me not to be authentic and honest. But I think just based on our personality differences, I wonder if this might be more of a discipline for you. And I would love for you to speak to it for women who are on the opposite end of the spectrum that might find it a little more challenging to open up, especially if they're only gonna be somewhere for 10 months like you are. So how do you practice vulnerability and confession with your peers? And what do you find valuable about doing that? Yeah, this is an important question. This is an area that does not come naturally for me. And so I think one of the questions for me that comes up is with discipleship among peers, meaning influencing each other in spiritual maturity when we're generally of the same spiritual maturity or age or maybe stage of life, is it different than Christian friendship? Mm. Um, And if yes then how so? And what are the implications of that? And see your brain. And I think at the very least, it sharpens and elevates the expectation of accountability to speak gospel truths to one another, to bear each other's burdens, to pray for each other, uh, accept one another, confess sins to each other, all of which were instructed in scripture to do so. Um, And I was actually, I was talking to my, one of my sister-in-laws about this, who's 23 and just graduated from college and said she had been reading and researching how it's more difficult to have meaningful adult relationships after college and has found that anecdotally to be true so far. So I think discerning the right person, being a bit vulnerable and modeling transparency and honesty yourself, seeing who reciprocates, seeing who's trustworthy, who offers godly counsel, seeing who's reliable by sharing needs who comes through for you. Um, and it certainly involves some risk of getting totally. hurt. You maybe don't want to scare people off too fast by going too deep um, <laughs> when it comes to your prayers. Oops. <laughs> um, but I think the benefits certainly outweigh the cost as we pursue obedience and godliness mm-hmm. in all areas of our life. But I would love to hear more about what, how you would answer that question. You know, when I think about this, I think it's really just rooted in my acknowledgement of my need for other believers to speak into my life in general. And I do agree there is wisdom in the way in which we go about that and the degree to which we go about that. And I think somewhere subconsciously I'm practicing that. It's not something that I actively consider and I probably should consider it more. Knowing my need for the gospel and like you said, knowing my need for people to be able to speak to what is true in relation to whatever situation I'm navigating and my knowledge of my need for people to vocalize by my own blindness and my own ignorance and my own limitation just don't have the ability to see in my own life that has just I think being more and more convinced of that has encouraged me to walk forward in that and I guess I can speak from experience that 
it has been a joy to do that. I have definitely embarrassed myself by oversharing multiple times, but that has not happened in a way that I regret it. Uh, Usually it will happen in such a way that I come back and I say, you know what? I think I overshared here. And then it just gives us another opportunity to grow together in friendship. And that has always worked out for me. Awesome. Thanks (laughs) thanks for discipling me. Live discipleship (laughs) on Journey Women. That does bring up a really good point, though, because there is a way that we receive each other's confession in an unhelpful manner where we're like commiserating together. That happens a lot in mom land. But what would it look like for us to receive one another's confessions in a way that really points one another back to the gospel? You just did that for me this morning. So I know you're an expert. I think it depends uh, on if it's a confession of temptation or sin or trial. You know, certainly we we respond with our presence and also being prepared to speak the truth in love. Mm -hmm. There's a a good book called Transformational Discipleship, How People Really Grow. Mm. And so they talk about this idea, which I'd never heard of before, this uh, defensive and offensive discipleship. A couple quotes from there. They say, sadly, defensive discipleship enables people to respond with blame, like my sins are a result of my surrounding influences. Mm. Bargain, I'll make it up to God. Yeah, or a belief in self, I can do better next time. And defensive discipleship is a vicious cycle of deception and defeat based on faulty theology. Mm. Offensive discipleship includes insisting people accept full responsibility for their sin by as an act of grace, refusing to accept foolish excuses. Offensive discipleship continually reminds people that God wants our hearts, not our bargains. When we encounter his love and holiness, we are joyfully broken realizing that his grace is all we need. Mm -hmm. Transformation occurs when we live in brokenness, constantly in awe of his grace and holiness. Offensive discipleship challenges people to live as broken disciples before him by applying the holiness and grace of God to the heart. So if you, Hunter, observe my actions or language as we live life together and see each other throughout the week, if I'm practicing defensive discipleship, um, you better call me out on that and correct my thinking and my attitude as we are often blind to our own sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a book called Life Together. He's a German. Did you know that's one of my favorite books? Oh, it's a great, it's a great it's so one. good. He's a German theologian from the mid 20th century. Mm-hmm. During the time of Nazi Germany. Yes. And he says this, um, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And so with confession, we encourage repentance um, and turning from sin. Mm-hmm. And something that I found as I've gotten older is that Satan might have us believe that we're alone in our struggles, uh, meaning that we're the only one who might be struggling with a particular sin or life circumstance. But that's just not the case in the human condition. Right. Um, In the Genesis 3 sense, we live in a truly fallen and broken world or all in desperate need of God's grace. Amen. And you can see that in one another's lives. And then I think it's so cool because we get to do that as we're doing life together under the word to use another Bonhoefferism. We can testify to the way that we've seen that flush itself out throughout all of redemptive history. And that's the beauty of studying God's word in the context of community and then doing life together is that we're constantly just getting to testify to God's grace, not just in our own lives, but also in the way that that's flushed itself out through all of redemptive history. So amen and amen. I cannot echo that more. One of the questions I have for you. So tell me this, you mentioned the discipleship group that you guys had in one of your previous local churches. 
um, and, and the value of like older women pouring into you. What is the value in doing that? Like, why are you going to continue pursuing relationship with Susie, for example, as you continue in your time here in Hanover, New Hampshire? So I know what it's like to walk with the Lord for uh, almost 20 years, but not for 30 years or 40 years or even longer. And I don't know what it's like to try and communicate gospel truths to school-age kids and to be married for more than 10 years. Aging parents. Yes, absolutely. So why wouldn't I take the opportunity to sit under their wisdom and life experience and learn from them as I observe them not doing life perfectly, but seeking to be obedient and Mm -hmm. faithful in their everyday lives. Yes, I am so thankful for her in particular, but just for older women in general, and so thankful too for our relationship and our friendship and the way in which the Lord has used that to show me more of who he is. Okay, so for those who are listening that want to grow in their ability to both be discipled and to make disciples, how have you seen yourself grow in your ability to make disciples? And what's been the most helpful practice or thing that you have done to develop this skill? I don't know if I have a great answer to this, but very simply, I have just gotten older. Mm. And so I care less about what other people think, which has been so freeing. And so if someone asks me for any sort of advice about some of the weightier things in life, family relationships, dating, parenting, marriage conflict, I don't really have anything to say that is honest and helpful that does not involve the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. Um, And so I was talking to someone in our community group who is in their early 20s, and I told them, I As you hear me share, and Hunter, and those of us uh, maybe in our 30s, I hope that you hear from us that we are still in desperate need of Jesus in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do have, so far, an extra decade behind us to look back at all the markers Mm -hmm. in our life so far and see God's faithfulness and testify to the fact that God is absolutely who he says he is. Yeah, that is so good. There are people who are listening to our conversation today that have the opportunity to take what they are hearing and to have conversations with women in their own local context. So what's one question that you would encourage women to ask an older woman in their life or maybe a peer in their life uh, after listening to this conversation? How did you come to follow Jesus? That's a good one. I think it helps us to know what good intentional questions to ask uh, after hearing somebody's story. I completely agree with that. Earlier in this series, one of the gals answered this by saying, what's your story? And I think in the life of a believer, the more pointed question with the aim of learning from her is how did you come to know Jesus? And can't believe I haven't asked you that question yet. So we're going to have to turn off the mics and I get a little more hunter time (laughs) that's fantastic oh thank you so so much for sharing your wisdom with us and just for being my friend absolutely likewise love you friend our prayer is that this series helps you see that discipleship isn't rocket science the best way to do it really is to jump right in especially with the help of your local church body Head over to our website, journeywomenpodcast.com, and check out the show notes where we include discussion questions, noteworthy quotes, resources, and more that will hopefully serve as a help to you as you go about doing this in your own local context. You can also find us on social media at journeywomenpodcast, where we discuss what we've been mulling over after listening to this conversation. 
This episode was edited by Christine Brandt. We are so grateful for her and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.